Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to New Books and Political Science. Again, my name is Heath Brown, and I'll be talking today with Judith Kelly. Uh, Judith is the author of Monitoring Democracy, When International Election Observation Works, and Why It Often Fails. Judith, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Thank you. And you? I'm, I'm doing great, and, and it was a real enjoy, uh, enjoyable to read your book. Uh, before we get to it and all the interesting things it has to say, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm from Denmark, and that is relevant to the book because it uh, it puts me in a situation where I've never actually myself been eligible to vote in an election uh, because Denmark has rules that means you have to be resident, and America has rules that says you have to be a citizen. And and so, if I was an American living in Denmark, I could vote. And vote. Um, yeah. Do you want anything else? Yeah. No. That's 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 that's, that's good. Um, I, I, when I read that, I think that was in your preface that you mentioned that, yes. and I thought that was just so in, intriguing, and, and we, we all find our motivations in such interesting places, and I thought uh, that uh, we'll have to find somewhere that you can cast a vote yes. for your next book, yes. and it all can all be about uh, a memoir of your, your own writing, uh, your own voting pattern. So, so let's talk about the book. Your book's about uh, election monitoring, um, something that I think people hear about, and but but you've really studied it intently. Um, election monitoring has been on the rise. Uh, I wonder if you could walk us through where this idea comes from, and where did it start, and, and why this recent spike? Way back to uh, where the first notions of this type of, of supervision occurred, you know, a lot of it was with uh, decolonization, and the UN was sort of supervised various types of, of voting procedures that had to do with countries getting uh, reestablished or established. And, and then uh, the, uh, the OAS, the Organization uh, of uh, American States, uh, was the first regional organization to really practice it sort of more comprehensively, but pretty much just on a kind of symbolic, in a symbolic way, they would send some observers and they would say yeah, everything is fine. Uh, it was really with the, uh, 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 you know, so with the end of the Cold War, a lot of countries um, wanting to transition to become democracies to show that they were honest and they uh, they could hold competitive elections, wanted to hold competitive elections, that there started to be a demand, too, from countries themselves to have this type of, of oversight to vouch for the validity of their elections as well. And, and that created an interesting pattern then where those countries that were not, uh, uh, you know, willing to invite observers started looking really bad because it looked like they were... Uh, making some kind of self-declaration of cheating, uh, why weren't they open to having monitors come in? So that really, um, that really took off at the, in, in the end of the 80s, and by the early 90s, uh, we saw a really rapid uh, rise in the presence of monitors in, shall we say, non-established. You were just mentioning that the, the, the rise in the 1990s and into the 2000s yes. uh, related to these um, establishing, transitioning democracies. Yes. Um, so, so let's uh, sort of uh, build on this. I, I, people, people hear about election monitoring a lot, 
Um, but we probably don't know a lot about what, what it actually means to monitor an election. So um, what do election monitors do? Um, how long do they stay? And uh, what would fill their time while in country? So if, if you take sort of the ideal prototype, like uh, 1994, big breakthrough elections in South Africa, all the stops pulled out, and now we're doing election monitoring as perfectly as we can. In that scenario, you've got people coming up to a year before with some visiting delegations, and those delegations would then come on and off and make visits where they would be looking at the, uh, the legal environment. Um, and then uh, as the time drew closer to the election, they would send a, uh, a long-term mission that might then arrive you know, three to six months before in a case of a, a big election like that, or in a small election, maybe four or five, six weeks before. And then uh, about a week before the election or two weeks before the election, depending on its scope, then you see so this influx of all the short-term uh, workers that would come and you see a drastic rise in the number of people present on the ground. And then if it's really done properly, then uh, they will stay for a while afterwards as well. They made their long-term delegation will stay uh, depending on uh, the type of election and how quickly the result gets resolved and how many um, challenges there might be, they, that could influence how long they, they keep a presence on the ground. Um, while they're there, they do so many different things. Uh, it's not just, we tend to think of them as just going into the polling booths and making sure, you know, nobody's cheating. Uh, but it's a, a much broader undertaking. Uh, many organizations do, for example, systematic monitoring of the media to uh, ensure that there's a balanced uh, set of uh, perspectives and access. They will interview all the opposition parties. They will interview candidates. They will um, go and observe rallies and, and, and in talk with the uh, commission, the electoral commission, uh, uh, they, they will try to take a very comprehensive, systematic view of the of the law and and get a, a very uh, full picture of the competitiveness of the environment more broadly. In the book, you describe lots of situations uh, situations where monitors are invited in and and they do exactly what you just described and 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 they present uh, a report at the end that that tells the story of a, a free and fair and open election. You lay out three options for for governments, or at least three options, uh, to to see see how this kind of works. You said one option is that you accept monitors coming in and you hold free elections. Um, you might also refuse monitors, or the third option, which is kind of the most intriguing, is that you accept monitors into your country, but you continue to cheat. The third, I think, is the is kind of the most interesting. So, why would a government do this? Well. Uh for one reason, uh, one reason is that there is a plethora of different types of organizations out there. So it's not obvious that you just invite one organization that's definitely going to condemn uh, all your conduct. Right? The option that's uh, available to you as a, as a politician now is to invite a mix of different organizations that have potentially many different constraints and motivations themselves and hope for a, a, a mixed set of reviews so that you can sort of spin them against each other. Uh, the advantage of doing this rather than just refusing to have monitors in is is that you you can say that you are running a clean election and look, you're inviting with each other. That looks much better than saying you just refuse to have monitors in. Um, now, not, of course, there's a, you know, the, if they could just hold an election and not cheat at all, they, I'm sure they would prefer that. But a lot of times they might even be intending to try to 
you know, invite monitors and intending to try to run a clean election, but then they, they realize as, as, they, as the day gets closer or, or even as election day itself moves on that they're not going to be cutting it, right? And then they start cheating maybe more than they had anticipated as well. So, so there's, the, there's that side of the, the, the game of this, uh, which is the, the government side, but, but much of your book is, uh, sits on the other side and, and actually looks at the monitors themselves. You, you introduce some, some ideas like a shadow monitor, and you also find in, in some of your empirical research that the Carter Center is, is the most consistently critical uh, external electoral monitor. Um, why, might be the, why might this be the case? Why, why, why do you think you found that the Carter Center was, was consistently critical and that there are others who, um, whose motivation might be to be somewhat less critical? Um, and, and sometimes they, you, you label them as, as shadow monitors. Yeah, so... Um so it's important not to confuse criti- critical and credible, right? So I think that the Carter Center is pr- probably consistently the most credible organization out there. And that doesn't always mean it's the most critical, right? Because the, the Carter Center tends to go to a set of elections often in Latin America that have gotten a lot better than they used to be. So it's not like every time the Carter Center goes somewhere, they criticize an election. It's that they provide a very um, credible assessment of the election. And when they when they why why the Carter Center is so good? Well, there are a number of uh, when there are a number of things that that hamper or constrain an election monitoring organization, and that that the Carter Center is not as bound by. Uh, for example, uh, intergovernmental organizations have member states, right? And member states uh, don't like you know they realize they live in glass houses and they they don't want to set a president that could be turned against themselves. So we see something like this very. Uh, very clearly, for example, with the with the African Union that has a lot of non-democratic member states, it's a lot harder for this organization to be critical because there are so many veto points in the organization. Or even an organization first and democratic standards to uphold, but unfortunately it also has a lot of entanglements in terms of trade agreements and, and other motivations for why it wants countries to make progress or have be on good terms with countries. An organization like the Carter Center is, is less uh, encumbered by such political ties, and so they're more free to speak out. Um, they also, I mean, they, all the organizations have donors, of course, that they're, that they're dependent on, but I think that the Carter Center is, um, you know, they're, they're a pretty long-standing, credible uh, uh, organization that's not teetering on the, on the edge of, of financial collapse uh, every day. So they do have a lot of freedom in speaking out. Yeah, yeah, and so so much of the first half of your book uh, walks us through these different forms of bias, and I think you provide some really interesting empirical analysis of what uh, what factors are related to the different types of bias. You move in the second part of your book to looking more at issues of election quality, and you ask this key question: um, Do observers improve election quality? So, empirically, how do you come at this question? It's a very complicated question, but how did you try to measure? And, and to, to best understand the way in which uh, the quality of an election can be judged and how you can connect this to the observation from external monitors. Yes, so those are so two different questions there, like how to assess the quality of the election and how to connect it to the monitors. So uh, it was very important for us to find a source uh, that we could use to uh, judge the uh, quality of an election, even if monitors weren't present, right? And that's difficult because we know so much about it when monitors are present and then we don't necessarily know a lot, especially uh, when we go back in time when when monitors were not present. And we also wanted to find a source that was consistent over all the different elections as much as possible. 
So it turns out that the U.S. Uh, Department of State, uh, in its human rights reports, actually has a section in there that discusses the quality of the election. And we went and coded that sort of uh, as a qualitative uh, coding exercise and, and, and had systematic ways of looking at a bunch of different subcomponents that were derived from the different standards of what competitive elections should look like, you know, secrecy and, uh, you know, things like this. Uh, so we went through and, and coded them on, on a number of different dimensions that are, that are related to sort of universally agreed upon standards for an election. Now, they're not hugely detailed accounts, so by definition, they're not going to be, um, you know, uh, very, very in-depth as a source, but they, we, could, we could get an idea about how good that was by then comparing them with uh, the averages for the similar coding exercise based on all the uh, reports when we did have observers present, right? So we could see how biased is the, the, the U.S., for example. It could be that the State Department is just very biased. But we found a pretty high correlation. So when there are election monitors present and we had credible reports, they were, uh, were we found that our State Department sources were very aligned. So, uh, so that's, so the other thing that we did was, uh, in-depth case studies for a number of countries, uh, and that's really important because we were not just interested in whether any given election improved, but we were really interested in the long haul because monitors are in this for the long haul. They come back to countries again and again and again, and they're making a set of recommendations and they want to know whether those were followed up. And those are very different from sort of just the sense of whether election itself, uh, that one day was better or not better, but is there, is there a trend? And so that's what we did as well, really looking uh, in-depth, uh, doing process tracing, uh, trying to find out whether the quality of elections were improving within countries over time, the quality of election. Now, how to connect this with the uh, presence of observers in terms of the, whether the quality improves uh, is, of course, very difficult because uh, election monitors, of course, don't go to... Uh, elections based on a random, you know, flip of a coin. They go to elections that have problems. They go to elections that they also think, well, they may be able to make a difference. So um, so here what we did was uh, use uh, matching, and we tried to come up with a set of elections where monitors were not present that on a, across a number of variables that we, that we know are important in predicting the quality of the elections in, in separate analysis, we matched uh, elections that were monitors with elections that weren't monitored to to come up with some assessment, and that's how we did that. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting um, uh, approach that that you've take, uh, taken in the book. When you step back, and the book was published just a couple of years ago, is there any way that you can put this into the context of the most recent elections that we've seen there? Just over the last couple of weeks, uh, when we're taping this, there have been a, a couple of major elections. Um, could you help us just sort of understand or in, interpret uh, the, these most recent ones in the context of your book? What, what would we look to which, when these reports are going to be coming out? I'm sure they're going to be coming out over the next couple of weeks. What would we look to, to to make our own judgments about the quality of the reports that we read, the one, two, three, or more reports that will come out of different governmental and non-governmental uh, organizations that are doing this kind of monitoring? The difference between, or can it sometimes be a big difference between what monitors say in a press conference shortly after they visit an election and even what they say in a summary statement in the beginning um, 
uh, of, of the report and then the content of the report itself. Of course, most people don't have time to sit down and read the reports in greater detail, but there's a lot of uh, sophisticated language that goes on in signaling uh, from these observers about the quality of elections. And if you don't, if you're not used to reading these, we not quite get what they're really trying to say um, because they, they are trying to be so diplomatic. So, um, so I think that, that digging in and actually reading you know, the content of the report, if one really wants to understand what's going on, is, is critical. Um, simply going like with these you know, statements or the summaries up front can be, can be tricky. Yeah, it's... Um I just cons- uh, highly recommend the the book. I think for both people who who study uh, international relations, quite obviously, uh, this book fits. But but for others, I think uh, your approach here and, and what you've studied is is, is just so interesting. Um, acknowledging that we've had a couple little technical problems as we've gone here today, could you give us just a little hint of what to expect next? You, you've um, uh, this book has been out for a little bit, but uh, what do we have to look forward to? Uh, I've actually started related project so I'm uh, now I'm working on a, on a project having to do with uh, with human trafficking uh, I have I have been I've been doing a follow-up a small follow-up project on um, related to election monitoring uh, there's been there's been work coming out that that's, that argues that election monitors may simply sh- uh, cheating so that incumbents are um, you know they're they're cleaning up their act uh, on election day, but maybe they're now doing other types of, of nefarious things that are going to boost their power to uh, somehow compensate for the fact that they've let monitors in. Um, you know that's a really uh, that's a really important and serious point, and I think it's one that we need to take serious empirically. And I've been doing an investigation into that. I, I do some of it in the book already, and. Uh, in one of the chapters, but I've been looking into that more systematically. Yeah, well, I, I can't wait for the next book. Uh, until then, uh, everyone can read Monitoring Democracy When International Election Observation Works and Why It Often Fails, published by Princeton University Press. Uh, Judith Kelly, apologize, apologies for some of our, our background noise and some of our cutouts, but I think we learned a lot from you today. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, Hayes.